Here at Tech Stalks, we constantly strive to spotlight authentic music trailblazers, which is why we're stoked to have Tech Stalks styled by Ray-Ban this summer, helping us in our pursuit of featuring artists who are not afraid to be their authentic selves. Ray-Ban is your reflection in the mirror of your truest self. It's the shade on a hot summer's day. It's your own focus regardless of any spotlight that may be on you. Together, Tech Stalks and Ray-Ban are saying, if you've got a challenge for us, no matter what it is, you're on. You can't predict the light, but with Tech Stalks and Ray-Ban, you're always ready to capture it by living each day in the moment. Follow the light at www.rayband.com. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Tex Talks. I am Tex and today I've got African pop phenomenon and good friend to the show, Trezor, back with me. In fact, he's the first artist who has promised to come back, who actually has. And it's fitting because his original podcast was one of our most streamed of all time. So Trezor, the last time we spoke, you said that when we did this again, it would be at your beach house in Malibu. And I feel like it would definitely be, but COVID really went and like screwed everything up. But clearly, clearly, Trezor, it hasn't stopped you from grinding because Break Out the Champagne, your third album, Nostalgia, has officially been certified gold. Congratulations, my friend. How are you feeling about your feet? Thank you very much again for having me. It's uh, really, really great uh, to be back on the show. And um, you guys are really great. And I'm I'm grateful and excited about uh, Nostalgia Growing Gold. And also uh, the songs on the great multi-platinum. And also it's it's like my full ever uh, album I've released under the label, totally rolled out um, by my own in-house team. So it's a very proud moment for us, Jacqueline and myself. Oh, that's so great. And it's so great to have you back on the show as well. But you mentioned that multiple songs on the album have also gone platinum. So the one was was Aphrodite featuring Beatenberg, and the other one was Sondela featuring Msaki. And when right. you're in the studio and you're writing these songs, I mean, do you do you ever step back and go, okay, so this is definitely going to be a banger? I think you kind of have a feeling, but you never really know how far a song will go, to be honest, until it's out. You really never know. I mean, if um, when I, when we did Sondela, I didn't know that the song could be able to go on and sell over 100,000 copies. The same with um, Aphrodite. I didn't know that going to be able to do those crazy numbers. But um, I think more than anything, it's an indication to just always stay true and to strive to always experiment and um, stay original. Because I believe being able to create the music and having fun with it uh, and creating my own pop sonically has really managed to create um, all these great opportunities for me. And um, I'm just excited to create more. So Msaki was a guest on season two of Text Talks. And I asked her about you and she spoke very glowingly about your creative partnership and how much she admires you and trusts you in studio. Um, describe your process working with her on Sondela. Saki is really incredible and also really a very good friend um, that I love very much. Um, working with her, that was like our second song we've ever written together. Before that, we wrote another song called Pearls to Swan, which went on to become her own song. And we have a few songs that we're going to be coming out. And we have a really beautiful uh, musical chemistry that is very rare. And I really appreciate the energy working with her in the studio. Sondela literally was written. The whole idea was that um, I had my team in studio and I started humming the keyboard part, the piano part, the famous piano part. Uh, and then I started, actually, I went and started start playing the drums on the keyboard. Um, and then I started did a verse and then I did the bass and then I did my verse and then we did the chorus. Within two hours, the song was done. It was so fast. Two you hours? Know? Yeah, that song was written so fast. And yeah, it's a, it went on to become what it is now, but it really didn't take us more than two hours to write. That's absolutely incredible. But then again, I mean, you don't, you know, you've got these 
really great creative partnerships with Matthew from Beatenberg and with Msaki. But, you know, you go into studio and I can imagine sometimes, you know, it's like it's a blank canvas. You might not necessarily know what comes out. Yes, for sure. I'm very particular, I think, when it comes to collaborations. And Matthew is a very special and rare talent. You know, he's, 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 a, he's a musical genius of sorts because he he thinks very differently. And I think we've managed to have also that kind of synergy because we come from different musical worlds, but we yet we relate to the same kind of sounds. So I get very, very personally for me, I think it's 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 very, very important to work with people that get to understand my sonic identity. And I think my friends get it, uh, Msaki get it, um, Matthew get it, and all the people around me. And it's, 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 you never really know how a song gonna turn out, but it's been fun, it's, it's amazing. And I, told, I promised myself that as an artist, the best I can always do is to stay um, uh, experimenting with music. Um, of course, you never know how things gonna turn out, but the best you can do as an artist is give it your very best and yeah. Well, hundred percent. That's why we love you because we can always expect your your very best when you put out music. But but what I want to know is right. Okay, so now the album has officially been certified gold. This is huge. What happens when that happens? Does does the the label like deliver a big case of champagne to your house? Like, do they give you a big fancy plaque? Like, what happened? Uh, uh, look, I think a lot goes into moving those numbers for an album and singles a lot a lot of marketing rollouts the team it's a lot of sleepless nights especially in the early days of the album and in my case i happened to to own the albums that i released in my partnership with universal um so in essence they they deliver the um the plaques and we celebrate and like if COVID was not um, a mood killer, we could be possibly celebrating the team. And personally, I don't really linger too much celebrating, to be honest. I just carry on building myself and learning because I'm on a mission to do something epic and I feel like I'm still right at the start. So most of the stuff I've achieved now for me are not even an inch or even 1% of what we're trying to achieve. So I don't really linger much celebrating and the current victories. I look forward to the next one. Exactly, which I think is so amazing because in the midst of all of this celebration, I mean, you've released three singles of your upcoming album, Motion. <laughs> um, that's due out in early 2021 and you've released a music video. Uh, what what can you share with me about the upcoming album? It's epic. It's exciting. It's um, it's a bold project and I love it. Motion is, is a big... Um, it's, I believe it's a bridge of where, of where I am as an artist right now, where I'm going. Um, I'm, I'm taking a very bold step on the global market soon. I'm, I'm being in talks with some really massive global companies in the last few months. I have a few releases coming through uh, with uh, some files via spinning records in the next month or so. Um, and Motion is that step of mind. That's what it is, that, that state of mind away. Um, I'm going where I'm headed as an artist and it's a really exciting project and I cannot wait for people to hear it. Well, Chisel, I am incredibly happy and excited for you and I have not forgotten about that beach house in Malibu. I reckon the third time, third time lucky when you come back on this podcast. Thank you so much. Um, I believe, I believe that will happen soon. I mean, the world should be able to, should be open pretty soon and uh, I'm excited about all the great things um, ahead. The world is your oyster. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Tex Talks. I am Tex and today I am talking to arguably the biggest pop star in South Africa at the moment. Hailing from Goma in the Democratic Republic of Congo, his story is now legendary. Crossing crocodile-infested waters and journeying down to the tip of the African continent where he settled in Durban. After juggling multiple jobs as a security guard, a car guard and a waiter, 
while simultaneously working on making music, a few demos sent to the MD of Universal Media Publishing changed everything, as he then began to take giant leaps towards becoming the African pop maverick that he is today. Renowned for his distinct sound, his songs reflect a peregrine of life shared by so many who live in Africa, but few are able to express their experiences in a way that he does, capturing an ear so universally and directly. I am, of course, talking about the enigmatic Trezor. Trezor, welcome. Wow, thank you so much. It's really great to be here. Now, now... There is a question, okay? Because yeah. this is the first... We've met a few times, but this is the first time that we're sitting down in an interview environment. And correct. there's a question correct. that I correct. have been wanting to ask you forever. All right. You make this epic crossing from Goma, right? Yes. All the way down to Durban. Why Durban? Like, no disrespect to Durban <laughs> or anything, right? It's a cute town. But, like, why not Johannesburg? Or even Cape Town if you want to settle by, like, a seaside town. What was it about Durban that made you go, okay, I want to put down roots here? Uh, if I have to be honest with you, I was not fully informed. But all I knew, I, was not, I didn't want to start in Johannesburg because I had some of the craziest stories eventually that I experienced later in life. Um, you know, and I come from a very small city and, you know, I heard all about small city living, being Durban on a much larger scale and uh, the weather and also a very big community of Congolese people so it might have been easier for me to integrate and I had like a few very like two or three people I knew were coming down uh, maybe distant uh, people that I was in touch with were just people that were based in Durban so I thought I had a much better chance to be able to integrate and have a, maybe a little bit of quick start uh, to say um if I started in Durban. I mean, it, to be honest, it was not um, a bad decision at all because Durban set a really great path and foundation for me. Um, it was an incredible environment for me to start from. Okay, so you're in Durban. We've now established that. When you arrive, how much English do you speak when you arrive? Uh, about 0.5%. <laughs> so, I, I mean... Actually, 0.1. That was a pretty... pretty um, I was just trying to flex, but I had, I had no knowledge on English whatsoever. But that's very intense. I mean, I know from, from my dad. My dad's Italian, but he was born in Venezuela. I lived in Brazil. Really long, um, very complicated journey of how he ended up in South Africa. But when he did, he was 13 years old and it was apartheid South Africa. So here's this boy, this Italian boy coming from Brazil, doesn't speak a word of English, has to learn English, but also Afrikaans. Like, because at the time, you know, with the schooling system course, and everything. Of course, of course. And I, I remember growing up, my dad would, would say to me, you have no idea how easy you have it. Like, imagine being like a pimply teenager arriving in a country. Trying to figure yourself out. And trying to learn two languages at the same time. Of course, of course. But how old were you at the time when you arrived in Durban? Um, if I remember correctly, I was about 19. Okay. Yeah, so I was, I was I mean, I was a pretty young adult, um from a very small city so a lot of things most of things not just a lot of things were very new to me so I had a lot to adapt a lot to learn and a lot to figure out um, and can you remember what the music scene in Durban was like when you yeah, yeah, yeah like I mean I know pretty much everybody that was still there like uh, crazy enough, I think the early people that welcomed me was like some of the legendary legendary folk musicians in Dur Durban, um, such as the incredible, iconic late uh, Sid Kitchen. Wow. Sid Kitchen. Um, there was Madala Kunene, uh, who actually offered me a split for the first time I met him. <laughs> I, couldn't, I, couldn't even, I couldn't even speak English. He's just like, hey, Yamo, you must, you know. Um, there was. Um, geez, there's a lot of I think at that time Stealing John, stealing Love Jones was doing well SJ eventually I used to work As a gardener for one of AJ's, SJ's friends from Stealing Love Jones So oh, she became wow. a good friend of mine um, Perez was still around I, Eventually we started a band Called Maisha which did pretty well In the Durban scene which was like, It was an eclectic version of like Freshly ground, like a lot of guys from Portugal UK it's a wild story how the band came together, but I used to sing and my manager would come in between the set to speak. 
this next song is called because I couldn't really speak English. Oh so wow! Be telling people the next song, and I'll tell him. I'll try and speak to him and explain to him what the song is about. And so, um, Devon was very. Uh, that around the same time, I met a lot of incredible musician we used to do open mics with. Uh, who some of them became like very lifelong friends, such as Moonchild. We used to do a lot of open mics together like ten years ago. Uh, Busiswa, Twerdy uh, Lazy, Cheese. Um, um, I've also known Holly Ray since was like 14 years old. Wow. Uh, like, uh, I mean, I knew her mom, the um, very, very kind lady. I knew her family. So, I mean, everybody in Durban, like, it's a very small circle of musicians. I'm know? starting to understand now why you settled there. Yeah, it's a very small town, and I got to navigate my way around, and I got to plot. Uh, this uh, global tech over there is about to kick off. I got to do a lot of things then. I got to learn to speak English easily with no pressure. I got not. I got to do small jobs and being able to live within my means. You know, so there's so many incredible things. I think that Durban was is or was for me, and that was all, always forever cherished. So talk to me about Maisha, right? Yes. Do you remember your first performance? Yes. We told it more with Shakamarine. <laughs> I go pay two and a half grand. <laughs> two and a half grand. Yes, for the band, six piece band. Oh, how times have yeah, changed! Yeah, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I go, that that was, that was a pretty good check though. Like it's yo, listen. I used to make two and a half grand a month as a security guard. So getting that for a forty five minute set, I was like. Hell, I think I think we're getting alright. You know, we're gonna eat Afro's chicken forever. Yeah, you know what I mean. We're getting alright. So, um, yeah, and set. And I remember the way. Um, I think before that, me or Oliver Mtukuti played there before, because right at the beachfront, and the people were just so excited. And it was just so new to me because there were different cultures. There's a lot of different races, and everybody was just so excited. And um, uh, because the band was so new, eventually went and played Splashy Fan, actually. that Like, Maisha went, played so fast. Like, the word traveled so fast. Um, and everybody, those journalists, I think if I remember well, there was a, there was a journalist from Devon called Neil Comfort. Mm. We used to do music, music journalists from the Mercury Times. And he supported a lot and wrote about it in the news. And there was an engineer who recorded most of the ladies, me, Black Mambazo, may the late uh, Shabala rest in peace, um, Nils Naman, who introduced me to, he used to work at the Playhouse uh, Studios, introduced me to pretty much everybody. Um, and the word traveled so fast, and then I think within six months, I was on the same stage of Freshly Ground, opening for them at the Botanic Gardens. You, Yeah, and you also opened for Lyra. Yeah, like around the same time when the band started, I couldn't speak a word of English, though. And that was what was funny. I was just like, I had this cool band of people from like different people, like Zulu, Black, White, everybody. But I could not speak. Everybody was just like jumping on board and it was just so amazing. It's an incredible time. How long ago was this? 2008, 2009. Because your command of the English language now is brilliant. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, I mean, for I, real. I, I, I'm still, I've, I, I kind of um, take pride in learning. I think my, my biggest, um, one of my biggest vision was to like, I'd love to actually write a hit song in English just as a challenge to myself. Um, and write not just for myself, but also for English speaking people that start speaking English since we were born or whatever. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, it's always, I think, a beautiful thing. It kind of makes me feel good. Mm. Yeah. So, how do you end up? sending Ryan Hill who was the MD of yeah. uh, Universal Media Publishing at the time how do you end up sending him your demos like do you grab his contact detail of, of, of from online do you meet him at a party do you start stalking him like what what happens so you know I believe in the timing of everything you know um, just to run the little back, bit back I used to carry this small book where I used to put a lot of numbers in and when I arrived within like the first month when I got my first security guard check I spend like a, a lot of time on s- social media, mainly like Google, trying Google Studio. So I didn't know the difference between recording studio and recording recording labels. All I knew, everything was just a mute production house, whatever. And I call hundreds of people, and it always takes one person to open the door for a whole new chapter to start. Um, and one of the earlier people is Rod Nichols, who became a manager from Maisha. He met me at Mr. Press Home, I remember, in, at the Pavilion, and I played this guitar and like a bunch of little like 
old people that are having some coffee and biscuit that came around and you know, like listen to the music and eventually Maisha was born and we did a lot for Splashy Fan White Mountain and great shows the marathons in Durban like it's I start making a living out of it so then I wanted to grow and be better and um, I just everything was in Durban at that time my one of my um, I think my biggest um, things that make me very uncomfortable is I don't love comfort. I don't love stagnant, uh, being stagnant. I don't love... You love I, being on the go. You I love, love moving. new challenges. You, love you know, it works for me and sometimes it drives other feel crazy, but it's just part of why I'm, I love to... I get bored very easily. You like your brain to be stimulated. All the time. Like, that's that's how I live. So I record like 24-7, days a year, you know. So I love to be on the move. So... I'll come to Joburg often, take a bus, uh, Greyhound or Intercape, you know, sleep over. Maybe if I make, I have an extra grand, I'll be able to sleep over at a f- maybe a friend house, one of my friends that used to help me and Rosebank sleep at the couch and hustle. And one day I was checking online about this competition or this, and there was this young girl that won a competition of Universal Publishing eventually got signed to the label. Then I'm like, hmm, okay, that sounds like a pretty easy link to sign. So I just Googled the number of Universal Publishing. That time they were based out of Tokai in, in, in Cape Town. Uh-huh. So I called. I was like, the guy doesn't answer the phone for the company. That day, hi, Universal Music Publishing, Ryan speaking. The MD answering. I'm like, hi, Ryan. This is Trezor. I'm an artist. I'm a songwriter. I do this and this and this and this and this. And he's like, and like, so now I ask him a question. Can you sign me? He's like, oh, I gotta hear your music first before we sign you. <laughs> so I'm like, give me an email address so I can send. So he gave me the email, which was a Friday. Um, I'm in Joburg, and I think if I remember, I had like literally, I had pretty much paid me my last 500 bucks. I need to catch a bus back. I think it was like around midday, and I need to catch back bus in the evening. So eventually, he gave me an email address. I put a bunch of small demos together that I had, sent him. Monday, first thing in the morning, I got the email. It's like, we really love the music, wanna hear more. We excited, we'd love to be involved. And I just went crazy and trying to find ways to like, cause the first time like a major company was kind of interested in what I was doing, you know. And um, that was, if I'm not mistaken, it might be around June, July. And so I, I just went in a crazy mode studio. Like every week I'll tune out like 15 songs, like writing, guitar, just go, go. So by the time of end of the year, I traveled to Cape Town. I got a lift with a friend. I played a few small shows at Zula Bar. And I got to meet uh, Ryan Hill, the MD, finally, and signed my first publishing agreement. Ryan eventually became a very good friend of mine who turned into a business partner. We like He's one of my best friends. You know, side note, you said you came down to Cape Town and you played a few shows at Zula Bar. I used to work as a bartender at Zula Bar. No way. And in literally right now, I remember one of those gigs. That's crazy. And I know. It's just it's that's crazy mad. sitting here. I'm like, On Long Street. That was in 2010. Yeah. Mad. That... Mind blown. That's great. But that's cool that you and Ryan are still friends. Yeah, very cool, very good friends. He's an incredible brother of mine. And he's seen everything from the start when, you know, like, um, he we always joke, you know, when we have either meetings with guys from the UK or the States and we're talking like numbers of publishing. He's like, he's like do you know, like, your first publishing check was 10 grand, you know? Uh, we always joke about it, but he's seen literally my start to until where I am and he knows where exactly what we're going he understands and he gets it you know and it's a blessing for me it's, it's all about traveling and doing great things with people that understand and pretty much are submerged in your vision you know and he get it so yeah mm. now, I want to talk about the single that kicked things off for you because in my mind it was never let me go all right and I remember hearing it on 5FM for the first time and thinking that it was Beatenberg. Yes. And then hearing this voice and going like, but that's not Matthew Fields' voice. Yes. And then later I found out it was you. I was like, ah, but it was co-written with Matthew, yes, which correct. makes so much sense. Of course, of course. So I know that you've done quite a few tracks with Matthew over yes, the years. Yes, yes, What's that creative partnership like? So, you know, the cre- let me tell you how everything started with working with Matthew and Beatenberg. So in 2013... You know, like I won this big competition of Holiday Inn Express as a writer and ah, Rolling Stone magazine. Rolling Stone, yeah. Yes, and I got given like a prize worth of like 150k and 
I think with hotel rooms thing. So I was traveling in and out. Bowling. And also, <laughs> not really, but I started to feel the, the, the result of the hard work that I was having, you know. Um, also, I got the opportunity to write songs on Zahra's album. So I got my first ever wow. check for publishing. It was like, it's the first ever 100K I've ever seen in my life. And it drove me so crazy. So I bought my first car. Cash was a little polo. And the rest, I went home to see my family I haven't seen in six years. So I came back oh, wow. home. I came back to uh, to Durban super broke because, you know, um, family, you're always going to cash out, you know, and look after family, you're always, you know. Did you also meet family members that you never knew you had? Yes, of course, because everybody thought maybe I'm bowling. At that time, I literally am starting, you know. So, anyway, when I came back in my broke state, everybody kept telling me, we keep hearing this song, we think it's you on the radio. At that time, I've heard Bittenberg before. Because I was trying to help them get a remix from Zex Bantini, who I knew for a long time. Mm. Um, and I keep wondering, which song is Because I don't have a new song already. Because East Coast used Radio been supporting my music for a long time. 2012, 2011. Like, early singles. Trying to figure out what kind of genre of music I'm trying to do. So, and I found out that song was Pluto with DJ Clock. I'm like, oh... That's mad. A, there was a lot of similarities because of the guitars and the vibe. So and I'm like, oh, okay. Neil was a Neil um, Sinclair. Sinclair was an art at Universal. I'm like, Neil, I remember you sent me the guy's music. Can you arrange a session? Yes, oh, cool, cool, cool. I was in Cape Town touring Zahara at that time. Um, was it at that same time? No, actually, I was just I went to Cape Town, um, got in studio Matt, and we wrote two songs on that day. We wrote Never Let Me Go, we wrote Zambezi. Mm. <laughs> Both songs made it on my debut album. I've been recording. Around the same time, I released a song called Mount Everest, which just reached number one in Italy. Like, everything was happening so fast. That was with AKA? Yes. Yeah. That was, the, the remix was with AKA. The okay. original one, so the guys just, in Italian label, time, found the music online on YouTube, and like, they just like, couldn't stop like harassing one the song. Like, within six weeks, it, it went out and became, big at that time so 5FM started playing that song because they heard it at a dance music festival a dance music conference in either Amsterdam or Ibiza and they start playing Never Let Me Go at the same time so everything was just happening so fast right so of course um, Bittenberg also having at that time a lot of things happening for them mm-hmm. um, Matthew and I forged this friendship um over the years, and uh, we just kept writing. Of course, there's a lot of songs written. I think people have only heard three, three or four. How many do you reckon you've written over the years? I think we probably have an album. Probably, we've worked probably easily like on 20, 25 songs. Wow. Yeah, we write quite a lot together. You know, when it comes to artistic um, 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 relationships and chemistry, they're very rare that are right, you know. Um, I mean, you can have two talented people in one room, but they're not necessarily going to be able to connect artistically. So, and I've been very fortunate to be able to find a few people that are connect with musically and vice versa. And, yeah, and Matthew, more than just music, is a really good friend of mine. I mean, we've we spent a bit of time together writing in London, um, and I think we all feel it's it's that time where we kind of take the music to the global stage uh, on a bigger scale and yeah I mean he, I think we, we're going to kind of write together for a long time I think even though the core of your pop-rooted sound has stayed somewhat the same over the years I really really enjoyed your last album Nostalgia because it's got that bakanga element yes, yes, and yes. it's got the bubblegum element yes. and, and it's like a musical love letter of sorts to different genres, yes, which is yes, really yes, cool. Yes, yes. You must be very proud of what you put together on that album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very. You know, that's really more than anything. I always tell it's like a sonic trip into my childhood. Like you gotta, I imagine the sound of my childhood, the music I used to listen to, and put together on one record to be like, look. I mean, I don't know where I'm going sonically. Like music is always music is a very, um, it's very surprising, you know sphere you never know you can think of something but it won't come exactly how it is like right now i'm experimenting for a lot of things 
um, I don't know when I get in the studio with Macron's on what's going to come. I don't know if I get in the studio with Calvin Harris what's going to come out of it. Or, um, I don't know, I'm expecting some time in the studio with um, Constantin Kesting who did uh, Tones and I Dance Monkey. I don't know what's going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. So it's always, for me, an adventure and a be- very beautiful one. And Nostalgia particularly was very personal because I did the album for myself. Be like, hey, if ever people ask me, where do you get your sound from? I'm like, go listen to that album. Here's the reference. That's what, what Nostalgia was all about. Yeah. My favorite track of that album is probably Electric Light because yeah. I love it. It's got that like Brenda Fassi weekend special vibe to it. Love that. Mm-hmm. Also features AKA. Yes, um, you, the two of you seem to also have worked quite closely yes. over the years. Describe that that partnership and how it's changed. Uh, AKA is very... He's a very, very, very talented writer, and he also um, thinks out of the box, which for me is a big, 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 big factor for anybody I work with to not always conform, you know. And he's, you know, he's quite a character, and I love that about him. You know, he's an honest guy; he doesn't have any breaks when it comes to expressing himself. You know, um, I might be the opposite, but I, I love that about him. He's a really good guy. And I've enjoyed working with him. He's always excited about the music. I mean, when he did his verse for Electric Night, he literally stopped recording his album because I personally, when I'm recording my album, I try not to interfere for a lot of things. We gotta be so close. Like, I'll stop recording and do something for Matthew. I'll do something for Psyche. I'll do something for my artist, Bonjan, but while I'm doing my album, you know, and very few people outside of that circle, you know, because. It's, there is a channeling of energy and a lot of things that is happening and sometimes you don't interrupt it, you know. So it's 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 something that deeper than just like going in the studio and whatever, you know. So um, And he, he did that. He just stopped recording his Touch My Black album. He's like, brother, I need to get beyond this song, <laughs> and which he did. And, and I'm excited how it came out. And for me, all these, these records and albums and songs, they're very strong imprint in time. And I want kids or um, future generation to be able to look at eras and even people around the world, the kid in Philippines or South America or in the States or UK or France, to be able to discover one day nostalgia or beautiful madness or an album seven and be like, whoa, this existed like 20 years ago, like mm. someone used to think this way. And that for me, that to be a sound. So you get to the end of 2019. Yes. And you look back on your year and you see that your music has been streamed on Spotify 3.9 million times. How does it feel to know that you have that many people who are actively participating in and listening to your story? Um, it's beautiful. It really is a beautiful, um, it's a blessing. The music has been traveling a lot of time organically, you know, and it just people sharing. I mean, we've had a bit of support overseas, but... I really think it's very encouraging. It's it's a blessing, and I feel it's an indication uh, for us to be able to put more efforts and more resources into um, breaking the music globally. And that's where my head is at. You know, it's it's a great start. Mm. So in July 2017, you inked a now historic deal with Universal Music for a reported seven figures. Um, And then you sign another deal with Universal Music for your label, Chuckle Entertainment Group, um, to empower local artist development uh, and production. Apart from the money, what opportunities have those two deals open up for you locally, but also globally? Because I see you traveling a lot backwards and forwards. Um, I'm start with my my album. Um, so, I think the the smartest thing that um, or smart moves I've made so far has been investing in myself, um, because you get to reap the benefits, uh, you know, face to face and see it yourself. It takes a lot because entrepreneurship is like a very it's an extreme sport, um, you know, and. Um, I think with the deal of Universal, it's it's something that it's like the first deal I've ever shaped. Like I was personally part of the reason why that deal came to life. Like there was no representation. It was just myself that went and, you know, played Universal music. 
spoke to the MDC Paul, who was, you know, was a good friend of mine, and just came with the deal, which became something that is something really um, amazing for my career. I mean, these um, we've done two projects together that done well, both of them being best pop album of the year. We're probably gonna do um, not possibly. I'm dropping a new album this year, so you hear it first here. Um, Exclusive. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, that deal has taught me a lot about business and getting to understand the running around of the game and relationship, the importance of relationships in this industry. The deal, pretty much the deal, and from there I shaped the deal of my label. So both my deal and my artist deals are under one umbrella, which is a entertainment group. Though it's structured differently, there's a license and there's a JV joint venture, which is one of my artists. The artists, everybody still signed under Jacquel. I'm signed under Jacquel myself. Um... And with the artist, you know, it's 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 always, you know, signing artists, you know, I'd love to glamorize it and make it seem like, oh my God, it's, you know, but it's uh, actually a massive challenge because you deal with a lot of people's emotions, understandably so, um, uh, people's dreams and people are always nervous, people are always tense and, you know, it's always, you know, it's always on the edge, you know, and I understand so, but I also know I have the best intentions for my artist. Of course, because you, you are an artist yourself. You so know, so I've always... Told myself you can't do the best for an artist. I let them go, um, and I think they've seen the commitment, they've seen the dedication, they've seen the fight. Because you, you know, when it comes to business partnerships and friendships, and relationships, I mean, um, there is two parties: the Jacquel, the Universal. It's always gonna be a lot of friction because there's misunderstanding sometimes. But um, um, so far, so good. I believe things are going to get better, though, because I believe these guys deserve to be on the world stage. So I think this year that's going to be really epic for them because the feedback so far on the music that um, is coming out um, um, is really amazing. Incredible, 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 incredible songs. Can't can't fit any more Incredibles. In yeah, the they, <laughs> look, I'm, I'm blessed in terms of like the kind of artists I've surrounded myself with, you know, um, I don't put too much on my plate that I can't handle. I have only have two artists, including myself, and that's already a lot. And once they threw the window fully, and I know that the guys now we can be able they can be able to sustain themselves and everything is good, then I'll be able to take on the next um, artist. But for now, those Batundi and Bonja are my massive, massive focus here. You sound incredibly business savvy, and I know that those kinds of things, like also you know, being an entrepreneur and running my own business, that doesn't come overnight. That comes from like years of hard work and from watching people who are older, wiser than you work. And if you're lucky having somebody be your mentor, mm. have there been, has it been, you know, have there been ups and downs? Have there been positives and negatives? And if they have been negatives, what have you taken from them business wise? Of course, I believe in everything in life, you know, um, the so-called negatives for me, I look at them as great lessons, you know, of life. So there's never any any loss, per se. Um, um, you know, as I said earlier, entre entrepreneurship is a massive, massive, um, it's an extreme sport. Um, and you, you always have to be on your toes, you have to innovate, you have to be better, you have to be the best, the fit, the best version of yourself, you know, and... Yes, I've I've lost a lot of money in the process. I've made a lot of financial mistakes. I have I've made a lot of bad investment mistakes. I've made um, a lot of bad judgments of character. And a lot of, a lot of mistakes. But I don't also beat myself up for it. You know, Very I just important. you know I just um, carry on. I think my spirit, the way it has been shaped over time and how I've gotten through life, is you know as long as I'm still alive. You know, as long as I'm still here, there's always there's nothing that we cannot fix, nothing that we cannot mend, nothing we cannot make better. You know, so I'm here living in such an incredible life, and musically and as an entrepreneur, as just a human being, and and I'm grateful to be able to be to live my dreams out loud, and also being able to help other live others live their dreams out loud. Mm. And in the same way that, you know, legendary African artists like Fela Kuti and Yosundor became poster boys in a way for African culture through their music, I feel like you're doing more or less the same thing with your distinct kind of Afrocentric aesthetic, aesthetic that you have. Do you feel 
any kind of responsibility of sorts to sort of carry on, carry the torch in that way? Thank you. I think personally, more than just a responsibility, um, there's a narrative that has to be built for African music globally. Because if you know, because I know you do, is, is, is um, with African music from Africa has always been put in a box. It's also called this word called world music. World music. You know? <laughs> and I think that's, that's offensive, you know, um, because Africa is, 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 is one continent, but there are so many cultures. There's so many incredible sonic identities, you know, to, and I don't do world music, you know, and even if it's called whatever, it's music from Mali or Congo or South Africa or Germany, you know, you can't put everything in one pot of mixed vegetable and call it world music, you no. know, you really can't, you know, so, um, before I used to be like, oh, cool, world music, but as time went by, I realized actually that very limiting. And my responsibility that I believe is to kind of change a narrative, just like alongside other friends of mine that I believe are really incre- is inc- like incredibly talented. Because for me, we don't have the, we might not have the, the platform, but, you know, songwriting-wise or um, production-wise or, Mixing wise, if I have to be honest, we st- we still have to get there, but that's why we're working with a lot of mixes, mixing guys like in the states or Europe or France. We we good, you know. There's I don't I don't see why an artist from Africa cannot be in the same category as your Bruno Mars or your Billy Eilish or your The Weekend or Vampire Weekend or uh, I don't see why uh, Bonge can't people be put on the same platform as you George Smith I was having this exact same conversation yeah. with Carl Anderson and Greg Carlin you from understand? Apple Music so, the other day yeah and we were saying when they launched their Africa Now playlist all of a sudden it's like one of the hottest playlists that Apple Music has like yeah. globally across the board and like everybody wants to be featured on this playlist because the eyes of the world, the of spotlight of the world is on Africa and on, thing, on everything that we're doing of course. creatively, culturally so of you're course. right um and for me, personally, um, I feel the responsibility to be able to push that narrative where, um, and then I don't, I don't doubt that it happened in our lifetime, where um, a pop artist from South Africa or, of course, if you're a distinct sound from Congo or whatever, if you do music that can be able to cross boundaries and cross genre, it should be treated with as much weight as they would treat a Cali in the state or UK, whatever. And um, I feel like that's where we, we, we that's the, my responsibility for me. That's how I feel. At least I have to do it for the generation and the people that, um, the different, the musician that do something that is different out the box, whatever. So, and I think it's really exciting times. And uh, we have to fall in the path, of course, of the greats, such as Brahu. I'm sure you know the whole story, you know. And he's, he, you know, we were very close and he really inspired me a lot and gave me extra confidence in the actual vision because in 1967 he had a number one record in the States which never been repeated again. It's been happened once for an African artist and it's never repeated again. That's how crazy it is. That's insane. But I feel like times are changing hectically. Very much so. And I don't think that that will be there. That 1967 uh, record will be that for much longer. Fingers crossed. No, Fingers uh, crossed. no, not, not for sure not. You know, and I feel I felt the same. I felt times are changing and things are moving and you know walls are breaking. Um, and yeah, the world, you know, uh, you know, I keep telling my friends and family, man, I think the best privilege to have right now on the planet is just freedom of movement, mm-hmm. you know. If you can, I mean, you know, um, hopefully, you know, the governments obviously don't, you know, um, stay fair and just, you know, give people visas when they need them to travel, you know. But, I mean, traveling for me has been the most eye-opener um, and... Um, it's helping me discover a lot of things, discover myself, appreciate the world. And that's where I feel like 
what's gonna change like there's so many communities the music is traveling the culture is traveling mm. um, and that for me is gonna put us in a position where why Kafes and Letambul was when Michael Jackson librarian go mm. do you understand mm-hmm. like because the access that all that all that ever missing is the access I feel like to bring it home to South Africa what you do and this sort of this flair that you have and the way that you craft your music videos um, to the way that you dress to um, your the way you curate your social media it's got a very like distinct flair to it very like distinct aesthetic to it that not a lot of pop stars in this country have um, were you ever coming from another country were you ever at all surprised by how warmly South Africans treated you? And because obviously, I mean, not to get too deep or too political, we do know that there is quite an ugly xenophobic undercurrent in this country. Yes, yes. Um, is, is that ever something that you experienced or have you found generally South Africans to be quite warm and quite open to you? Um, I think just to make it clear, the xenophobia is, is something that I've experienced very subtle. Um, in uh, different environments, be it work or uh, social environments. However, my general uh, view of South Africans is that they've been very kind, very wel- welcoming, very open. Um, and I wouldn't want to paint a whole population based on the very few that I have done or have the xenophobia um, they're always, they're and, always know, bad apples and you know, in so every I wouldn't batch. Wanna, I, I think that would be very unfair, you know. So, and I'm, I'll forever be indebted and grateful to this country for the platform. I mean, the amount of love I get, be it from radio, or media, or shows, or it's just incredible. It really is incredible, mm. you know. I don't, you know, it takes me a long time for me to think that I don't belong here. You know, it's 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 um, it's been a blessing, you know, and and I felt everything is c- comes from the power of music. Music did that. I didn't do it, you know. Music did that, and the people just, you know, music is so crazy and beautifully strange. Where like it just blurs a lot of things, you know. It blurs um, a lot of things and. You know, I'm sure there are people that don't really, uh, maybe they're xenophobic that will still dance to the music because they just like the song or they love the music, you know. And that's the beauty of it. And I, I look at, you know, anybody that is maybe have the xenophobia thing, it might be, if it's, it's ignorance, you know, it's misguided um, anger. And uh, though I don't, I don't support it, I don't approve of it, I have a very tiny, tiny, tiny window of understanding in a sense where I believe there is a lot of dialogue, a lot of um, repression, a lot of um, dealing that has to be done for that to be, that roots to be taken out, you know, because there is a lot of um, social political issues underlying underneath and when people misdirect or misunderstand or put their feelings the wrong wrong way, of course they're always gonna blame the next man that they see. Mm. Because that oh you're always on transmash this glass because it's here. But the glass did not close you from close close your cell phone provider from like messing up if your landline, whatever, you know, so um I've I've read a lot of articles about you, interviews with you over the years and people have mentioned that you're quite a private person, right? Which is in no way a bad thing. Like, I'm mad private. I don't want people to know my business. But I feel like you're the African Beyonce. Like, we have no idea what's going on like, behind closed doors with you, like, at all. Um, do you feel like people, media, fans hound you more because you're so private? Because they, like, really want to know what's going on? Um, look, uh... I think in the age of social media, like, I naturally just share what I believe is important for people to know, you know. Um, and the rest, if it's really important for me to keep, I keep. 
you know, such as family and, um, you know, people, loved ones and business and, you know, uh, because I I feel like, you know, I mean, so many times my peers or friend will be like, oh man, this happened? Oh, why you didn't tell people? Like, it's, it's a great thing. Why didn't you just, because that would be a great moment for you in the media. I'm like, nah, it's not, it's not. It's never about for me. It's everything gotta be around the music. Everything else is distraction, really. You know. So, um, if the music is causing all that stirring, that great. If not, then that's okay. You know. And I love to keep it that way because it's keep me sane. It's keep me. It's like it, it give me my own sanctuary within my mind to just be at peace with life. So we know that you're an incredibly busy man running your own business, mentoring your artist, writing your own music, hopping from South Africa to this country to that country. What are, I know there are some things going on. Right. What things are you at liberty to share with us about what is happening in the future with Trezor? Um And your business to a yeah, larger extent. I think uh, the aim first of the business is to build um, um a massive company worth a lot of millions in Dallas for sure. I like um, that. And in pounds, even better. Um, <laughs> Make not, that foreign not currency. That I, I, I'm driven by it. It just I believe it's something that is very important given the story I come from. It's very important to have that story. Build it from music. So I'm venturing into a lot of things: music, film, it's media, it's technology, um, and yeah property that's for the company and I think for myself there is a room now I believe and space to be able to venture into global space so I've been spending a bit of time in New York and London and LA um, the, most of this year for the next two three years there's going to be my spaces so you know and I've started to ask for a little bit of help from people that have been traveled those journeys so people that produce and work with incredible artists in the States, in the UK and US. Just to try to navigate that sphere because I believe here I can call up on anybody that I feel like will be able to assist with a song or, um, you know, like, you know, it's it just the world here for me has gotten smaller. I mean, I've been fortunate enough. I've entered, I've, from us, a lot of people don't understand. I've been in the game for literally less than five years. You know, but I can. I've been in the room pretty much everybody. Literally, know. literally less than five years. Yes, like since my first single came out. Because never let me go came out in yeah you know, twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen, Trezor, you just blew my mind right yeah, now. Yeah, I've been again for less than five years. So, and for like, I mean, I used I used to be a musician for a long time, like five years, six years before. But I'm saying like. Is a, a brought as an art, artist and I start being like awareness. Been five years or less. Going to be actually five years end of this year. Um, and I've been in the room with pretty much everybody. I think of Beat Mafiki's all writing for them. I mean, Beat Black Coffee recording my vocals for Speed of Sound. Anati, aka, I'm cheese. Anybody can think of. Ladies, me, Black Mambazo. Like, anybody can think of. And I feel like the universe is pushing me to go do something better because this has been such an incredible stepping stone. And that's where I feel like, the, you know, with my genre of music, the way everything has been pushed here, we've done, I mean, you know, you, I'm sure you know a lot of pop musicians you've experienced in the last two, three years. It's very hard for a pop artist to push the movement as far as it is where it is right now. Because a lot of people assume you're a pop artist, you clearly like, Clearly, there must not be money or any income whatsoever. But I've been very fortunate because the music has been it's like crossing over, be it the urban or pop market. And where I'm at right now is reaching out, be geez, like the people we're talking, we're talking about the Phineas management, Nile Rogers, um, um, Constantine Tones and I, um, some high rollers, like. It's going to take a lot of money, a lot of investment, but also I know it's, a, it's worth it because where everything is going, you can't be trying to play in the big league when you have the wrong boots. 
You really can't. You gotta have the wrong, the right gear, and you gotta be in ex- in the exact same room. You gotta play with the exact same people, and that's what it is. The mixing is very important. The mastering is very important. The tracking is very important. Now I can't just record a song um, in a certain way, quality or whatever, and expect it to like go up with a Harry Styles or an Ed Sheeran song. Meanwhile, they've spent like three hundred thousand on the song. Mm-hmm. It's not even about spending. I'm saying a lot of investment down on the music. When the song is right, it pays off big time because everything just takes off because everything feels right. And that's what I meant. So we're just traveling the world, connecting, recording, working the right people, investing and investing and investing and investing and investing. Something's gonna take off though in the next two years. Maybe this year, maybe next year. Well, I think in five years, if you've come this far and you've done this much, I can't wait to catch up with you in another five years uh, in L.A., in New York, wherever Most you probably, are. Like, yeah, I mean, there'll be a cottage there at the Malibu Mansion, Beverly Hills. Okay, so. is that my invite? Yeah, yeah, Can I come? Will, yeah, yeah, okay, you great. You'll be very welcome. Okay, um, I'm just looking and at my producer. A, just make a note of that. So in five years, we're going to be in his um, Malibu mansion slash cottage, whichever, um, doing this follow-up. No, 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 yeah. not at all. <laughs> so serious. I love it. Um, but I just want to say thank you so much for this. This is long overdue. I can't believe this is the first time that we've done this. Thank you. I know. I know. Um, and, and I cannot wait to see the trajectory of your star just go yeah it's, it's exciting times and thank you so much for having me it's been incredible and uh, we'll see you soon i mean we'll see you around but also hopefully you soon
shout out to Trezor for joining us in studio. Thanks for joining us for another Text Talks. Check out textinthecity.com for more episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and listen to Text Talks on all good streaming platforms. For myself, Tex, our producers, Jonathan Ings and Matt Lutz, and our assistant researcher and collaborator, Al Clapper, catch you all on the flip side.